0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember God is good. Amen. I'm, uh, I'm glad we agree with that. And all the time, God is good. Um, I'll tell you what. Let's see if um, if you could go ahead and and take out uh, your 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 notes and and let this be a a moment in where we could take notes together and we could open up the word of God and we could just um, you could write questions as I speak on your notepad. And um, it's always good to do that as well. Always, always, always ask yourself questions as we get into the word of God you know what what's being written what's being said how is this applied to me who was it written for why is this stuff being spoken today and and that the word would have its truth in our lives if you have your bibles you could turn to psalms 19 psalms 19 and then this is what I would do I will get there eventually but we're going to we're going to go a few places today in in the word of God and as we as we kind of Go through a few places. Eventually, we'll land in the book of Genesis, and we'll start off on chapter 37. We'll start off in chapter 37. And uh, so, so, I mean, we'll end off in, chap, uh, in Genesis 37. Amen. But let's kind of get started here, share some thoughts, and then we'll get into some scripture, some teaching. And, and I believe that today you're going to be encouraged, edified. And you know, the, the, the word of God is so beautiful because how many of you have experienced this that even when it corrects or even when it rebukes, it still edifies. Exactly. All right, And that's, that's, that's the beauty in living in his presence, that you know that even when he's rebuking you, he's actually doing it to edify you. And sometimes the, the, the individual that receives the word without living in his presence will take the rebuke and take it as an insult rather than his rebuke and take that as the Lord is trying to edify me. And and that's why it's so important that we are in the proper position with God. And and that that it's all about just knowing Him. Amen? If you were to actually title this message anything, it would be just that. It would be as simple as this. It's about knowing Him. That's today's message. It's about knowing Him. It's about knowing Him. And and I I want to um, to kind of get into this. You know, obviously we're living in, in, in moments, unusual moments. And these moments, how many of you guys can agree with me, uh, just to share a little bit of my heart, that these moments that we are in, at least in my life, um, they've been used in a way to measure me. Uh, to You know how um, I, I will, uh, when your car breaks down or something like that, you have to pop up, you have to open up your hood and, and you start to check for oil and you take out the rag and you, you take the, the measuring, I'm sure that thing is called something, the the measuring, the thing that measures your oil. Dipstick? Oh, that. And, uh, and, and you know, you take out that, that dipstick and you look, okay, you have enough oil and you clean it off and all that. And I feel like these are the times, it's been that, you know, where the Lord has kind of taken out the dipstick and be like, all right, you know, let's go another month. <laughs> you know, fix it off to another month. All right, we're going to stretch this thing out for two more months. Uh, I've, I've, been ta- I've been speaking to um, some churches and churches that don't have the ability to meet as we meet because they meet in schools or whatever. And there's churches that are able to meet. But have not been able to meet for whatever reason, in which they feel that they're they're not even sure if they'll be able to meet until next year for whatever reasons. And um I, I just pray that that as the Lord does that and measures us and takes out that dipstick and, and kind of gives us a measurement of where we're at, that we would really take account to that and allow the Lord to grow us and do something special in us. And but these moments have been used, at least in my life, to measure me. How many of you can say, yeah, it's. It's done some things in my own life to the point where every word, every deed, every response, every reaction has been weighed deep within. It's been weighted within me, deep in, inside of me. And um, I'm sure many of you guys could testify of that. There's many things that you've said that you wish you could go back and not have said. There's many things that you wish you can not say that you've chosen that it's best not to say we've been there. Um, there's things that you've reacted, the ways in how you have responded, things like that. And, and and the Lord has really given <clears throat> me the urgency to, to um, your words should not just have weight, but your whole life, the way you react, everyone's watching people, are watching people, are listening. But don't worry about what others say. Make me happy. Make sure that your father is glad with you and smiles over you. And we need to make sure that all that is happening within this season, it's, it's, it's weighted down. Not heavyweight, meaning that it has weight. It has um, a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose, or even deeper repercussions as we go forward. So, amen. It, it's, it's actually the word I'm, 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 I'm not using is the word wisdom. It's trying to execute wisdom throughout this time. And there have been moments where I'm sure, like I have, we've fallen short. I have fallen short. There's times where I've fallen short. But the beautiful thing about falling short is that you learn from those moments of falling short. I pray that everyone that's listening and and as you're here, that if you fall short, that you would learn from those moments in which you fall short, that we are not so high on ourselves and that I would never be so high on myself that I dismiss life's priceless lessons. Life and the experiences of life they, 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 God gives it to us as a gift, and and life comes as a gift, and and sometimes it comes very hard. The, the 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 gift when you open it, it's very sharp, and you poke your finger, Or you cut yourself. And it's like, man, you know, I wish it was something more tender, something. And it's just the, it's just the way life comes. And all of these things, if our heart is right, will see that the Lord has a lesson, and they're priceless lessons. You can't give, you can't put money on those things, those experiences. And it's all because God is doing a work in every single one of us. Amen. And then there's been other moments where I've just been cautious, you know, times that it's made me speak, and other times it's caused me to be silent. But just like many of you, I too have been angry. I have been sad. I have been confused. I have been frustrated. I have been pained. I have been hurt. I have been encouraged. I've been lonely and I've been loved. I have laughed and I have cried. I have screamed so much, so much of all these emotions. I've been there. My wife doesn't even know this and she's here today. And she's like, why don't you tell me things? And I'm like, because I'm trying to be strong for you. But there's been moments where I've had to go into the bathroom and I call someone that I'm very close to. And I'm saying, hey, I just need to talk to you. I need to cry. And and and, and there's been moments like that where I've had to FaceTime a friend and just cry with my friend on the phone. Um, how many of you have been there? You just... You just I'm going to take a walk around the neighborhood and just have to cry. (laughs) Good. I'm not alone. And and so many of these emotions and and all these different things, because this is all new to us. But you know what it's doing to us? It's forming us. You know what it's doing to us? It's making us stronger. Imagine by the end of the year what we're going to be made out of if we stay in Christ. Imagine if when we get out of this and another storm comes. Imagine the lesson and the wisdom we're going to have because we went through it in Christ and we came out of it with more of Christ. Imagine, like I look at this and right now, like, oh, this this really stinks. But imagine how sweet it's going to be in the future when it actually becomes wisdom, when this stuff today becomes wisdom in the future, when this stuff today becomes sweetness in the future. When these things become lessons that you could sit down with children and say, hey, let me tell you what mom and dad did when they were in times like you're in right now. Just things that we can't forget that God has taken us to. How many of you believe you have a destination? Just two of you? Three, four, five, know right, hands are going up. We have a destination. Paul writes about a race. I, I just closed. I, just, I don't know if I was that closing off or opening up in prayer. But Paul talks about a race. And in his race, he had his, his eyes set to what? To his destination, to the finish line. He starts the race, but his, his, his goal, his objective is, I want to reach my destination. And that is the, the, the line, the end where it says, finished, well done. And that was his aim to just make sure I get to, my, to the place where I need to get to. And that's my destination where I need to finish. But this is what I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to repeat everything. I feel like a lot of what we're experiencing today, we're going to learn this today. Ready? It's less about our destination and it's more about knowing him in the present moment. It's more about encountering him today while not getting so caught up about what is it that's going to happen tomorrow. See, I believe that when Paul's eyes are fixed on the prize, on the finish line, it's because he is presently secured in the person who is Christ. And that is the most important thing. And we'll, and we'll talk about that. And um, in the midst of this, these moments that we are in, and this time that we're in, and feeling all these kind of emotions, there's one thing that I have not lost. And I pray that none of us have lost. And I pray that if there's anyone that is hearing this or will hear this, that they will never lose One thing that I have not lost, yes, I've been angry, yes, I've cried, yes, I've screamed, yes, I've laughed. Yes, I've been lonely and at times I've been comforted. But in the midst of everything, one thing that I have not lost is I have not lost faith. I have not lost faith. You cannot lose faith. You can't afford that. You cannot afford to lose faith. And if you know someone that is losing faith, they can't afford it. can't afford it so it's time to get around them and tell them enough is enough but I won't let you lose faith this is what you need to do It's, it's it's a great moment of maybe discipleship where you could take on the mantle of discipleship amen I will not lose and I have not lost faith so why should I in all of this there's one thing for certain and it's that I've continued to experience his presence In my life. How many of you. In all of it. Have continued to experience. The presence of God. In your life. And that's a very. Important. Statement. That in all of this. What have you learned? I've learned. Greater moments. In the presence of God. And I've learned to know. And I've seen to know. That he is involved. And he continues to be. To be. In absolute. Total control. I am not. I am not convinced or or unconvinced, however you want to say it, I am not uh, confused about the matter. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God remains in total, in full control, full control. He sits on his throne and yet he has not been moved once by the issues on this earth. He has not been moved in confusion once. I believe that. All of this may be for one thing. You should write this down. Everything that is going on may be for one thing. And it's about this. It's about knowing him. It's about knowing him. He's taking out the dipstick and measuring us. And he says, may you never fall into the scripture where you say, Lord, Lord, I did all these great things for your name. I casted out demons. I sang worship songs. I clapped my hand in church. I gave a tithe. I did outreaches. God, I did... But the Lord looks at us and says, but I never knew you. You know what I'm trying to say? So may all of this may be for one thing. That I would know him and that he would know me. May the dipstick read true. So when I say, Lord, Lord, he could interrupt me and say, shh, welcome. Shut up and just come in. Let me give you a hug already. Don't even explain yourself. Just come in. And that's, that's where we want to be at. All right. Hallelujah. Amen. Here we go, right? You can write this down if you want. I wrote this as the Lord was speaking it to me and was really what was propelling me to, I guess, preach this. It's okay. It's okay to be presently secure in the Lord. It's okay to be presently secure in the Lord and yet not be sure of the future. I just asked you, how many of you feel like you have a destination? Okay, almost everyone in here raised their hand after I emphasized it. All right? I said, how many of you know you have a destination? But watch this. How many of you, though you know you have a destination, you're just not sure of um the future and what that even looks like, okay? We could be honest like that. Because the reality is, like, I know I have a future, but I will tell you this. I'm not sure about the future though. I mean, I know the biblical aspect of future, I'm sure in. Like I know I'm secure in Christ, I know I'm gonna reign with him, I know I'm part of his kingdom. Like Like that stuff, I get that future. But, like, my future on earth, I'm going to be very, very honest with you guys. And if this stuff is to scare you, it's not to scare you. I don't know what my future is on this earth, but I know that there's a future in Christ. It is okay to be presently secure in Christ, yet not be sure, fully sure, of the future. It's okay. It's okay to, I can say it this way, it's okay to know the direction. It's okay, sorry, to, uh, it's okay to not know the direction of the future, but yet have confidence in the direction of today. Like, like you could ask me, hey, what are you going to do next week about this? And I'm like, does anyone know what they're going to do next week about anything? No one, we're in a time that we could plan for next week, but you're not sure of next week. You guys see what I'm trying to say by this message? I want to make sure you understand the context of it. So, so you could say, Well, what are you what, what is your like I would no one is asking this question anymore, but I loved when everyone was like, Well, what is your vision for the church? Well, I'll tell you what, the vision for the church has definitely changed. Has it not for most churches? Like, I don't think there's, there's a church right now like, we're just going to have a campaign and we're going to open up five campuses. Right now, they're like, you can't. You can't open up one more building anywhere. So obviously, everything's on hold. Everything's on pause. I feel like this uh, there's, a, there's a, yeah, there is a future vision, but there is a, a present vision, a present place. There is a direction, yes, for tomorrow, but specifically, God is calling us to, to be keen to the direction of today. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So, so maybe I don't know the direction of the future because really whoever can stand here and says, well, I know exactly what I'm going to do in a month from now. I don't know if I really trust that person because like, man, who really knows what's going to happen in a month from now, especially from what we've learned in this year. But I will say, man, God is definitely directing today. God is so leading right now. Like God is obvious in the days that we're living in. And God is so present and God is God is really doing beautiful and marvelous things in the cyclone of sickness and death and 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 furloughs and economies shutdowns God is still so present and so manifesting such glory I believe that He's leading today's what I'm Emphasizing here, so be faithful in it. Be faithful that he's still leading today and be faithful in his lead. And if you are faithful in his lead for today, guess what that does? It will take you to tomorrow. Remember the destination, the future? I know, I know that I'm gonna have a future, but I know that to get to my future, it depends on being faithful in my today. The children, the Hebrew people had a future, had a promised land. God had it for them, but they elongated it. They prolonged it. Why? Because they struggled with being faithful in today. They struggled in being obedient in today. And because of that, the Lord says, I'm going to have to continue to stretch it to the point where that whole generation missed out. But it was still a promise to them. So he gave it to the next generation. It doesn't mean that God didn't have a future for them. It was teaching them. That in their present, in their moment that they were in, they were lacking. They weren't being obedient. They weren't confident in the faithfulness of the Lord. How many of you are confident, even in the times of of unconfidence, uh, in the time of uncertainty, as it's being said, how many of you are confident, still confident in the Lord today? That's a great, what am I doing? I'm measuring you. We're taking the dipstick out. Things are uncertain But as he remained certain, things are uncertain. But as he remained confident, he's leading today. Be faithful in his leading, because if you're faithful in his leading today, if you're faithful in it, he's going to take you to tomorrow. Each day, each day that you walk in obedience to Christ, it's a step that you're walking into the future. Amen. Praise God. So, with that said, it's okay to make plans. Don't don't take all of it. Oh, okay, I'm just going to stop making plans. That's not what I'm saying. Or setting goals. Oh, I'm just gonna stop journaling. No, that's not what I'm. I'm I'm not saying that. It's okay to make plans and to plan your own way, but yet you need to trust the Lord. I make plans. I plan my way, but yet I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord that He will determine and He will direct. He will establish my steps, even when it goes against. The plans that I have made. I feel like that is so important for today. And I'm going to repeat it. It's okay to make plans. It's okay to plan your way. But yet trust the Lord to direct, to determine, to establish your steps. Even when it does not go as you planned. What scripture is that? Does anyone know off the top of their mind? Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9. The Amplified says it this way. It says, a man's mind plans his way. The Amplified amplifies this. That's why it's called the Amplified version. It amplifies, it plans his own way. Well, what is he talking about there? As he journeys through life. So a man's mind plans his way, plans his steps as he journeys through life. But it's the Lord. See, the man plans, but the Lord, it's the Lord who directs his steps and establishes them. You guys have seen that. So the man plans their way, their, their journey through this life, but the Lord directs the steps and establishes them. I love that because what, what what is being written there is like, hey, it's good to plan and plan as you want, but never forget that the Lord is the one that's going to establish it. <laughs> Meaning, he may at any time detour you from the plan that you wrote down. Think about how many people wrote down a New Year resolution when that does the, I, I know I said this last year or in the beginning of the year. I always forget. Remind me again. The ball drops or goes up? You guys don't know either. Okay, it drops. Ten, nine, eight, seven. 8. All right. So when the new year and the countdown happened, how many people kind of went? I'm gonna my New Year's resolution. I'm, I'm gonna do this. And then 2020 hits and they hit us hard. And then think about all the plans that man has made. It was never wrong. It's not necessarily bla- bad. But it's the Lord who can easily, from one moment to another, kind of detour from the plans that we wrote down on this journey that we are in. So I, I, I bolded this, or I, um, I, I, I amplified this big in my notes because I wanted to stress this. And here it is. It's about coming to know the one you are with when you don't understand the season that you're in. That's what life's about. That, that's what the season is about. What is everything that I'm going through for? And what is it that God is doing? And what, what do I have to pray for? And what should I set my mind on? Well, it's about coming to know the one that you are with when you don't understand the season that you are in. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close with all those thoughts because that's really what pushed me to, um, to share this message. and we're gonna re- I'm not going to lose you. I'm, I'm going to bring everything back when I close, and it's all going to make sense to you. But I want to share this, and, and it's not a left or it's a right. Um, it's a different lane on the same road I'm going to take for a moment. Because when we read through his word, I'm going to emphasize something here before I close off with that thought about knowing the one you're with. When you read the scripture, what are we reminded of? We're reminded about so many things. But we're reminded of this truth here. We're reminded how important and how valuable the word of God is to us. How valuable and important it is to us and how valuable and important it is for us. Amen? Scripture, as we study it, we recognize that it's flawless. Scripture is flawless. Scripture is also refreshing. Scripture brings enlightenment. Scripture should be desired. Scripture says more than gold. It should be desired. Scripture should be to us sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. Scripture in it and keeping it, we should see that it is a great reward. Scripture. Let's read that verse just so you can know that I'm not just making this stuff up. In Psalm 19, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 11. It speaks of this and about the Word of God. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's flawless. It is restoring and it's refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right Bringing joy to the heart, verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19 verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is warned, is reminded. He is illuminated and instructed your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward so you you read this scripture and what the psalmist writes and and you recognize that that the word is priceless that you can't put a price tag to the word of God to his commandments to his precepts to his statutes or to his law you can't put a price tag to it. Uh, The the riches, the riches of this earth, all the gold, all the diamonds, all the pearls, all the silver, all of the riches of this earth, all the riches of this world can never and will never be more valuable than His word. Like, like when I wrote that down, I had to pause and think about that and just sit there and, and quiet because think about what I just said. You could grab all and pile a massive, massive mountain that reaches up and passes the heavens of riches. And yet that, that mountain of riches yet has no value next to the word of God. It can never devalue or overvalue the word of the Lord. What does the Bible say about the word of the Lord? It says what? Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word remains forever. By every word, man would be judged. Man would stand before everyone. I mean, His word is that of priceless, no price tag. Nothing can come and stand toe to toe. Nothing can stand and confront it. It is His holy, it is our holy scriptures. These are, listen, words from God's heart. These are words from God's mouth. These are the judgments of God, the commandments of God, the oracles of God, the precepts of God, the laws of God. This is this is the face and the person of God. Like you, you know me if you know the word. The word of God is priceless. It's his heart and his mouth. It's the, the greatest of riches. It falls when in comparison to, or when it tries to stand in competition. Before what is spoken by our God. It falls. It crumbles. It shreds. It disintegrates before his word. Before Jesus started his earthly ministry. Where was he taken? To the wilderness. To the desert. Who was he taken by? The enemy. And what does Satan do? Does anyone know? He tempts him. What does he tempt him with? With the word. He tempts him by twisting the word. And what does the Lord do? What the, do you know that Jesus, this is so crazy. Because Jesus is, how many of you believe Jesus is God? I want to make sure we're a, a, a good foundational church here. All right, good. <laughs> so we got his deity out of the way. So Jesus is God. And in his godness, him being God, you know, he could have spoken anything and just destroyed, disintegrated, like the enemy right there before him. Just like, you know what? I'm just, Die. But he doesn't. The the method or the weapon, the element in which he uses to combat the enemy himself is what? The word. How valuable, how powerful, how priceless can something be that Jesus Christ himself uses it as a sword, as the weapon to combat that which is opposing him. So he uses the word the word of God, the word of God, and the enemy has to eventually just leave him, because he recognizes, shoot, I would have never known that the word would have known itself. You guys know what I say, what I mean by that. And I'll, we'll read that scripture now in John one. The word is priceless. You should say that. Say that. The word is priceless. I'm emphasizing this for a reason because it's going to come to my closing. You'll see what I'm saying. His word has so much worth. His word has so much power. Many have tried to destroy it, but it still remains. Many have tried to lie against it, but it still stands as truth. Many have tried to twist it, but it still forms straight. Many have tried to bring death to it, but it still gives life. And many other books and words have been written. But the word, this book, it still sells as number one. I mean, the word of God is, is, is tremendous. It's something that we should never take lightly. Why do you think it's the, one of the number one things that you struggle with? It's your reading the word of God. The number one thing that the church struggles in is in studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God and even opening this book. Why? Because it will distract you from one of the most important things that has been given to you. So we make all kinds of excuses. I'm just tired. I just don't have time. I just didn't, I just don't understand it. It's just so much. It's just... No. There's, there's a reason for that. The Word of God is priceless. If there's anything that we should waste our time on, we should spend it on this. Amen? Change the the word there from waste to spend. So what is it about this word? The truth is that as we continue to study it, it's not just words. That's the thing. Every drop of it tells of the one who is, who always was, And who is to come. Every drop of the word is about the Almighty One. The word, as we've come to know, is not just letters written on pages. But it is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. It is our God incarnate. God in the flesh. The word become flesh. It is the word living right before us. And now living inside of us. And our Lord is, remember what I just read in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11? The word is, and I said what? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring and refreshing the soul. It's reliable and trustworthy. Remember I said all about the word of God? And right now I tell you that the word of the Lord is all about the one who is who was and is to come it's about the almighty one it's about the person of Jesus Christ the word of God it's him incarnate it's Jesus himself is all of these words written on these pages it's all Jesus himself so what do I say that our lord is Psalm 19:73 7 through 11. And our Lord is the Word. And our Lord is He is what? He is everything that I just read. Now watch this. I'm, I'm going to substitute this now. Ready? Jesus is what? He is perfect and flawless. He is restoring and refreshing the soul. He is reliable and trustworthy, making wise the simple. He is right and bringing joy to the heart. Jesus is pure in lighting the eyes, clean, enduring forever. He is true and righteous all He is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold and Jesus is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb and Jesus is also our great reward. What was the psalmist writing about? The word. The statutes. The oracles of God. The precepts of God. But in doing that he was writing about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about what? It's about knowing him. That's today's message. It's about knowing him. In John chapter 1, to kind of give this some more life to it, in verse 1 it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You said that twice, right? I'm emphasizing that He was always and has always been there. And all things were made through Him. So now the Word is a Him, and without Him, the Word, nothing was made that was made. Verse 4, in Him was what? Well, thank God there was not death. There was life. Because even in death, He resurrects and brings life. So in Him was life. And look at the life He is. The life was what? Look what it's defined as. It's the life was the light of men. So what is, what is, what is the word It's him. And what is he? He gives life. And as he gives life, what is this life? It is the light of men. That's interesting. Verse 5. And the light shines in the what? In the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So we have a light because of this life giver. And because of this life giver who's given us light. Now there's a light within that shines without in the midst of darkness. (laughs) This is like... This is like an awesome episode of like Star Wars. It's supernatural. It's like, this is what God does. He's, 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 he, the way he transcends and the way, I mean, it, it, this is, I mean, how many times in our church we talk about dimensions of like, like, like light pierces, like there is a realm and there is a world. Yeah. You walk outside and the sun is beaming, but yet if you open your spiritual eyes, you might see Darkness. Instantly darkness because the sun and the moon do not operate necessarily in the spiritual realm. There is light and there is darkness. So in the spiritual realm, when the children of God walk in, the light that is beaming within and without of you shines in the darkness. Why? Because of the life giver, the word that has become alive inside of you. His life was light to all men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness don't comprehend it. They don't comprehend it. We'll skip down to verse 14. It takes some time there. And it talks about John the Baptist some, a little bit. But down in verse 14, it says what? And the word that I'm speaking to you about, it becomes flesh. And it dwells among us. And we beheld his glory. And it was the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And he was full of grace. And he was full of truth. Oh, I don't know. This can't be Jesus. It is Jesus Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus' exact words, Jesus speaks to the crowd. And guess what he says? I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And if you come to me, there will be no more darkness, but you will have the light of life. It all comes together. Why is the word so important? The word is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word gives revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. In Psalm 119 verse 105 there's a beautiful scripture right there in the in the middle of the Bible. And what an amazing time. And this is now my message. What an amazing time to read the scripture. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp. We we just spent, what, 20 minutes? 30 minutes speaking about the word? The word and how important and how beautiful and how priceless and and how it's life, and it, that life is the light of men. Wow, this word! And here is the psalmist, and he says, "Your word is a lamp to my feet." What else is it? Notice that the word. What else is it? And it is a light to my path. Guys, every scripture is a is a perfect piece puzzle that is that is just revealing the picture. It's just. Showing you what's really there. I hope you got the picture that we're putting together. Your word is a lamp. To where? To my feet. Why do you need a lamp to your feet? So when you carry a lamp, how how far does that light of that lamp go? I mean, realistically, the lamp's light doesn't go too far up. The psalmist says that your lamp in itself is just what? Light to my what? It's a lamp to my feet. Meaning that I need this light specifically. It's enough just for the next step. And if I'm okay with the next step, then the next step after that is going to be okay because I have light for it. You see, what happens with the lamp to the feet is I don't need to know what's in front of me 10 steps from now. Because as long as I trust the lamp, that I'm holding here or that holds me here, I know that my next step is fine. Many times we're worried about 10 steps from now when you don't recognize that you're carrying the lamp or the lamp that is carrying you is just giving you direction for the next step. I believe that we run a marathon and we run a race and all that, but I believe with every step that we take on this race, it's not necessarily to know what the 10 steps in front of us are about, it's just being confident and faithful with what is, in what is the next step. As long as I'm faithful in the next step, I know that I'm still going to be here. I know that it's going to be prosperous. I know that it's going to work out for my good, for his good, for the glory of the Lord. Like It's going to be fine. Why? Because if the lamp could just light up my feet, it's okay. So you could say, so what do you think in a week from now? I'm like, the lamp hasn't gotten there yet. But I will say right now, it's directing my feet and I'm here where I'm at now. I don't, like, for example, me and my, my wife have spoken about like my kids' schools and I have my own philosophy and my own view on my children's school and she has her own. But as much as we plan about what our decision is going to be, whether reopening and not reopening and what are we going to do and da da regardless of all of that, that's just the plans of man. We won't know the answer to any of those conversations until the lamp takes us there and it happens one step at a time do you guys see what I'm saying the psalmist says your lamp or your word forgive me is a lamp to my feet it's a light to what my path write this down please this is not the description of a destination This is not the description of a destination. This is the description of a season. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. The psalmist is not talking about a destination. This is just for this season. You light up the next step. It's a season where God's people learn something very important, and I believe that this is where we're at today, and many of us are there, where we put one foot in front of the other because the emphasis, it's not about where we're going. Listen to that. The focus is on the one and who you're with. The psalmist was like, your word is like a lamp to my feet and I'm good. Why? Because it's a light to my path. Did you notice that? The psalmist wasn't saying my, my, my focus is on my destination. My focus is on the one I'm with. And it's if I'm with him and he's with me, then my next step is covered. Many people get so caught up, get so stressed out, anxious, even enters into depression, so filled with all these things in their mind because they continue to look at a destination, at a destination, when still they haven't even taken the next step in which the lamp is giving light to. This whole process here of Psalm 119, 105, it's focusing on the one that you're with and not necessarily the place in which you're going. And we need to understand it until we have learned to trust the one, the one. We rarely know the details of where we're even going. I have no idea where I'm going. I don't have no idea what that holds. If I'm not trusting in the one who lights my next step, the picture of that is only possible in the trusting in this, that His Word is a lamp to my feet. The person of Jesus lights the direction going forward. Amen? God is far more concerned about you knowing Him than your destiny. Because you knowing Him is all you may need. And that in itself is going to direct you step by step to get you to the place where you need to get to. Don't get so caught up about that. Get so caught up about Him who lights your way. Amen? What is it about? It's about knowing Him. It's about knowing Him. Genesis chapter 37 and I'm done after I talk about Joseph. Let's just, many of you know the life of Joseph. I'm not going to have time to go into all of it so I'm going to Summarize a lot of Joseph's life, but I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. It says, one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about his his dream, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field, and we're tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around mine and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so what? You think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Sometimes people will hate the dream that God put inside of you. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. He says, listen, I've had another dream. And the sun, the moon, the 11 stars, they bowed down. They bowed low before me. And this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Verse 11. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. You always need a father in your life. You always need a father in your life. see... The brothers, brothers tend to envy one another. But fathers will think and say, I wonder. I wonder what my son really meant. See, the father was going to encourage his son. The brothers were going to go in battle against their own brother. What a different relationship between brother and father. We keep reading, and his brothers. They plan to kill him, and then they say, no, let's not kill him. Let's just leave him to die in a pit, and we'll pretend an animal. You know the whole story, takes, the, takes blood, and they say, look, the blood of the animal. And they say, look, this is Joseph's blood. He died, and that wild animal ate him. And then one day, his brother Judah, Joseph's brother Judah, sees Ishmaelite traders coming by, and he figures, wait a minute. Here's our brother. We're going to leave him here to die in a pit, but we're losing. It's probably better to make some money off him. So what do they do? They sell his brother and they make money off him rather than having him die. And we see here in scripture an ugly form of human trafficking. Right? Joseph is human trafficked. He, it's human trafficking in its, in its form. And Joseph is trafficked by the Ishmaelite traders, um, And it's crazy. Then in Genesis chapter 39, we see that eventually these Ishmaelite traders where are they going to? They end up in Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, um, Potiphar... Um, ends up taking and buying Joseph from these these traders as a slave. And then who is Potiphar? Well, Potiphar is an Egyptian officer. He's actually a captain of the guard of Pharaoh. He's someone high up in the ranks uh, uh, alongside the king of Egypt. And everywhere he went, I want you to catch this. I'm in chapter 39 now. And in verse 2, look what it says in verse 2. It says this about Joseph. Tell me if you like that. The Lord was what? I love that. You know, that's not going to be the first time you see that in Joseph's life. It's an—it's a constant theme in the life of Joseph. So Joseph right now almost gets killed by his brothers, gets thrown into a pit, lied to his father, his father's mourning, thinking that they just killed him. Then he gets sent as human trafficking to Egypt. Then they take him as a slave um, to a land that he knows nothing of. He takes They take him over there. Potiphar now has him as a slave of his house. And in chapter 39, verse 2, what a life Joseph has lived. You think like, oh man, it's just a Bible story. No, imagine you being human trafficked. Imagine you being in another country as a slave. And yet, 39 verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. Why? How many of you would have read this and say, where was God when Joseph was being human trafficked? Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So look what happens with Joseph because the Lord was with him. He succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So what happens, Potiphar puts him in charge as a manager of his own household, Potiphar's house. So Potiphar's wife, because the Bible says that Joseph had a great looking body and he was a good looking man. And Potiphar's wife, um, probably Potiphar was over um, weight maybe. And she was like, you know, he's not exercising more for me. And he's always at the king's palace and his meat and so on and so forth. And this guy that's always here attending my needs looks really good. So what does she do? She takes off her clothes one day. She says, lay with me. And he says, I will not lay with you because you're my master's woman. And he honors his master. He honors his boss. does not. So what does she do? The next step is, I can't believe he just did that. So he accuses him. She accuses him of rape and he's running around naked. So everyone sees him and says he must have raped her. Why else would he be naked? Because she tears his clothes off and Potiphar finds out, and guess what he does? He's filled with rage. He throws him into prison. How many of you would have said, huh, where was God? How many of you have a hint that something's going to be said now? Let's go to verse 19 for a moment. He's in prison now. He's no longer a slave in his house. So Potiphar was furious when he heard of his wife's story about Joseph had treated her. He took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. So good. In the prison and he showed him his face. What am I trying to say? Come here because come here, I don't want sure I to I make sure you don't lose Because this is what I'm ending with. I don't want to make sure you lose this. Joseph remembers the dreams. I have a destination. I have a vision. I have, I have, I have kernels of wheat that are going to bow down to me. The stars and the moon and the sun are going to bow down to me. I know what God said to me. But now... I'm sent as a human trafficker to Egypt, and then I was bought as a slave, and now I'm thrown into a prison, accused of rape that I did not do. The, the The question of all questions is: You said this to me, but I don't see anything happening that is getting me there. God, where are you? How many of you, through this time and through this moment and through this pandemic and through all the conditions of work and and, and the economy and all the stresses of life and not being able to visit family, where are you, God? We're we frust- we, th- we actually think that God is-, is frustrated in his own plans. Where are you, God? And-, and you could think that Joseph is there now and he's in prison. He knows the dream he had. He knows the vision that God gave him, but it doesn't look like that's where He's going. But it does not matter. It did not matter about the whirlwind of life that happened in Joseph's life. As, as long as he was sent as a human trap, as a slave to human trafficking, bought as a slave to Potiphar's household, accused of rape by his wife, or thrown into prison. As long in all of those calamities, as long in all those dark places, in all of those confusion, uncertain times, in the middle of every single one of those personal pandemics in his own life as long as the Lord is with me the next step is his now that was his life so it says here in verse 21 but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison he was with him in where in Potiphar's house he was with him where in the pit he was with him where he was with him in every step All you see is hell all around Joseph. But if you had spiritual eyes, you see him in the middle of darkness. But all you see is Joseph walking with the word with his lamp to his feet. There is hell going on. But every step I take, this lamp, the word gives light to my feet. And it says that in prison, the Lord is with him, shows him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And everything that has happened in the prison was under his charge. And verse 23, the warden had no more worries. Because Joseph took care of everything. Verse 23, what is the theme of Joseph's life? Verse 23, the Lord was with him. What is the theme of your life? Oh, he worries for everything. She lacks faith in all things. She runs in fear. Think about what is the theme of your life. In the middle of this pandemic, what is the message of your life declaring to the witnesses that are looking at you? Is it the life of Joseph? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him and caused everything that he did to succeed. And this is a good message. Joseph begins now to interpret dreams in the prison, in, in, in which some two years later, eventually it, it, it causes favor over him, and he interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams, and then he ends up, I'm summarizing, there's so much details just in this right here, he ends up saving Egypt. Egypt. Not only Egypt, but all of the surrounding um, nations and neighbors around Egypt. He ends up becoming their savior from a seven-year famine that has never been seen since up to date to up to this day. And, and while God promotes him with such favor to save Egypt and all the nations around Egypt from this famine, I want you now to skip to chapter 41, and here's what Pharaoh has to say about Joseph. This is so good. Verse 38. So Pharaoh asked his officials after he interpreted his dreams, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Guys, I'm talking about Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, telling this to one of the sons of Jacob. My people will take orders from you. Only I, only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. He's the prime minister. He's next in command. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? It wasn't the Egypt of today. Egypt was the most powerful nation during this time. I put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and he placed it on Joseph's finger. You know what that means? You now have authority. You have the authority now to make decisions and bring forth judgments. He dressed him in fine linen clothing, hung a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the chariot that is reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. What does that mean? That when Joseph would come out of the palace, people would have to kneel because he was royalty. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval, Joseph. That is so deep, man. All right, so much I want to say there, but I feel like I can't right now. This leads now to his brothers coming to Egypt to get food for their father, for their families, since news spread of Egypt and their prime minister. Pharaoh's wise right-hand man, Joseph, who helped save Egypt through this famine. They come now to get from him, not knowing that it was his brother. Eventually, they find out it's his brother. Forgiveness and salvation happens now for the Hebrew people. And now Joseph's brother, the sons of Israel, they bring all their families from their famine land to live in Egypt in, 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 in awesome conditions where they grew strong and they multiplied in number. They were growing mightier than the Egyptians in Egypt. That's powerful. Eventually leading them out on their journey to the promised land is what's going to happen here. And and, and I paused there and there's so many lessons that we could stop. and, and, And if this was a deeper, longer study, we would have just stayed on this for weeks. But listen, what is the important underlying theme in all of this? We read it in all of the seasons in the life of Joseph is this one phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. And whatever season he was in, he had a vision He had direction. He had a destiny. But instantly, yes, this journey was interrupted with difficulty, accusations, imprisonments. And I believe that the Lord was dealing with Joseph at the same time. Why? Because the Lord is going to use the circumstances of this earth to deal with us. And I believe specifically he was dealing with arrogance in Joseph's heart. Pride and arrogance in the life of Joseph. His journey had to include slavery and all these imprisonments and hardship because he had Arrogance. I love what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says. In 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It wasn't until Joseph went to the place of being humbled that he was not able to what? Then fully be exalted. And I believe as I get ready to close this that God has put all of us on a journey. And as we are all on a journey to reach this destination that he has for us, But here's something very important. How you get there will be determined by your attitude. And by what attitude you need to embody that promise. There is a promise, but what attitude is it that I carry? See, Joseph was a great leader. And God always told Joseph he was going to be a great leader. And you know that if I ask you, when was Joseph a great leader? It wasn't when his brothers bowed down and worshipped him and said great things about him and when they begged him for mercy rather Joseph's story here we are and it's still being talked about today because if you look at his life he put the needs of those those who were severely persecuted those or those who persecuted him those who attacked him he put their needs over his own desire over his desire for respect for fame for position He looked at what people needed and he went to reach those people's needs. Today, Joseph is known just as God said he would be as a great leader. And the great way that Joseph led, if you look at his life properly, he led by serving. What does the Lord tell his disciples? Whoever wants to be great must first learn how to be a servant, a slave to all. What was Joseph doing in a high position as second in command in Egypt? He was leading, but he led by serving the people. What does Jesus do? He leads, but how does he lead? By serving humanity. So all I can tell you is be encouraged. Take heart. Because I know that many of us don't understand the process that we're in. Karen, I know you don't understand the process here. And if I look at you, Debbie, I know you might not understand the process you're in. I'm sure you may not understand the process you're in, Betsy. We may not understand the process word. I'm currently experiencing this and I have no idea what's happening. But I tell you to take heart because there's one thing that can be certain. And it's this, and I need everyone to listen. God will never depart from you in the midst of your journey. or any time after that. If you trust God's lead, if you lean into God's heart during these times of uncertainty, I'm telling you that he will not fail. He will not fail in getting you from the promise to the palace of your destiny. But it starts with just him lighting the next step. And that's only possible by you coming to a place Of trusting Him right now in your current place. I don't know if there's a cliff five steps away from me, but I know that if I trust in this, the lamp which is light to my feet, He will show me what's there. He will lead me, and I will know where to go. But I don't have to worry about the things that I don't know are there yet. All I have to do is trust. In the present season. And knowing that God is with me. And I'll be fine here. I want everyone that's listening, watching here. To know you'll be fine here. You're going to be fine here. You've been fine here. Some of us have been sick. And we're getting out of it. Some of us have already beat it. And I've gotten out of it. Maybe more of us we will get sick. I don't know what that looks like. But God's here. We're going to be fine here. We have to trust In him for today. The Lord was with Joseph. And I want that to be said about me. The Lord was with Regal. The Lord was with them. But I'm telling you today. There's one thing you may never lose. Don't lose faith. Do not lose faith. Joseph had so many uncertainties and pandemics. He went through a pandemic. 7 years of famine. We've gone through what f- 4 months, 5 months, 7 years of this stuff. People were getting sick, there was no food in the land, 7 years. And the Lord reserved them because of his wisdom. Because of what he did, he stored up the store he, he filled up the storehouses. I'm telling you that the Lord is with us. He'll give us wisdom for these days. I've been having conversations and I believe that one of the most important things that we need to pray for is that the Holy Spirit will lead us during this time and to really be cautious with the leading of the Holy Spirit. So as I close, all I could say is remember some things that I've said to you. It's okay to to be presently secure in the Lord and yet not be sure of what that future holds. Be faithful in it. He leads you in this moment, which will eventually lead you because of your trust in him, to the next. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is about the season that I'm in and it's about the one who I'm with. The one who I'm with. What is all of this about? What is all of this about? It's about knowing Him. It's about knowing Him. How many of you can say amen? It's about knowing Him. Can you stand with me there? Stand with me for a moment as we close off. Hallelujah. In a moment, I'm going to ask Him, Julian and Ryan and Gio and Gabby are going to come up and we're going to pray for them. But I just want to spend a moment just in prayer here. If you're home, maybe you could just pray there. Pray with us for a moment. Lord, I pray for everyone that's in this season. I pray for everyone who's in difficulty, everyone that's in hardship. Everyone that's in confusion, that, Lord, they would not be robbed from joy, from faith. Lord, that you would be a, that your word would be a lamp to their feet, that you would light their path. Come on, join me in prayer. Lord, I just want to continue to lift up our brother Chris, our sister Karen. Lord, I continue to pray your rest over them. I pray that in this season, that you would be light to their path. That your word would be a lamp to their feet. That in hurt and turmoil and pain and in mourning, that their next step would be covered because the light shines for them. Strengthen them, strengthen Karen. Lord, I lift up Jean right now in prayer. As a family, we pray for healing over her body. Whatever it is that the doctors may say they may have found in the test that they may want to do, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us great positive news. That you would remove what needs to be removed. That you would heal what needs to be healed. That they, the Pereira family, once again, would stand victorious in the presence of God. And that they would have a testimony that in this season and in this battle, just like you were for their daughter. Just like you were in their very own marriage. You are also with them in this news. And you will fight for them here as well. We pray for those who are sick. All across the world. Those who have lost someone. Those who are part of our family. We pray your hand over them. We pray your comfort and your healing. We pray that you restore them and heal. And that you do a great. And that you would do a great and mighty Work in their lives. That you would restore them back to 100%. We love you, Lord, and we thank you.